Well, our second scripture reading for this morning is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That's on page 911 of your pew Bible. I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word as we continue this series preaching through the book of Acts. Speaking of the earliest uh, believers in this church, Luke says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. There's a problem in our age. It's the problem of loneliness. It's not a new problem. In fact, it's been around for a very, very long time. But uh, if, if recent headlines say much to us, it's a problem that people are starting to feel. Feel ever more year after year. Uh, Here's a few headlines. Surgeon General says there's a loneliness epidemic in America. Young people report more loneliness than the previous generation. Loneliness begets more loneliness. Here's another. How social isolation is killing us. Here's the strange thing. People are reporting feeling lonelier and lonelier and more isolated from people, but there's there's more and more ways to connect through social media, through texting, Uh, It feels like we have communication at our fingertips, and yet people are saying all and all the more that they feel lonely. And there's many of us who feel lonely. This isn't something just out there. We know that loneliness is close by our doors. We know what it's like to feel isolated and detached from people. But it's into this isolating loneliness, this dark world of of loneliness, that God sends his spirit to give the gift of Christian fellowship. That's what we see here. In the very beginning at Pentecost, we've been preaching through the book of Acts, and we saw that God poured out his spirit upon all believers and upon new believers. 
And what's happening? He's building his church. He's establishing them um, and focusing them on the Lord Jesus Christ. A spotlight is on the ascended Savior, but it's at that very moment that he pours out the Spirit that he's doing something uh, horizontal as well, not just vertical, up to the Lord Jesus, ascended on his throne. But he's also taking believers and he's pulling them together and he's knitting them together by the Spirit. That's what fellowship means. Koinonia, the Greek word fellowship. You might have heard um, of churches named koinonia. It's it's a pretty good word. People might not right away know what it means, but when, when I explain it, you'll understand why. Koinonia means fellowship. It's that spiritual connection that we have with other believers. It's the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, as Paul just explained in in the book of Ephesians. That's what fellowship is. It's a connection we have with other believers. And this is a gift from God. If the central gift of God is peace with him through the Savior, then the gifts just get keep getting um, all the more richer because out of that spills a connection not only with him, but also with one another. And I want to look at this fellowship. I want to look at it as we see it clearly depicted in all of its glorious nature in this passage. And I want us to first observe the marks of Christian community, the marks of Christian fellowship. And then uh, we we need to take time to uh, understand how we can pursue this Christian fellowship, the way to true Christian community. We see the marks here, and I actually have given you an outline, and there's fill in the blanks. I did that to keep you on your toes. Kids, if you wanna, uh, want to want to be wondering, what's the next fill in the blank going to be? You can, you can fill it in and follow through the sermon. The first fill in the blank is what? Uh, Christian community, true Christian fellowship, as we see it in this passage, is marked by a learning community, a learning community. What does it say? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, here's the thing about Christian fellowship. It's not vague. It's it's not, there's there's nothing um, up in the air about it. It is centered on solid teaching. And that teaching comes from the mouths of the apostles, who are, who are what? The apostles were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus. They saw him. They saw what he did. They heard his teaching. And Jesus has commissioned these specific apostles to come and to gather the church around them and to pass on to them the kind of, of um, uh, sound teaching that is going to knit a community together on something solid. Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. These are the very things that the apostles preached and a whole host of things spilling out from that, how we ought to live in light of what Jesus did. But the very core of it is the apostles teaching on who Jesus is and what he did. Now that is the very thing that knit the community together. Not um, political literacy, as important as that might be, not philosophical discussion as um, tantalizing that might be, but what? Truth about Jesus. That's what pulls Christians together. That's what true Christian community is founded on. And so it's this learning community in which the apostles 
and, and all the believers around them are starting to fill their minds with good, true doctrine. Don't ever disparage doctrine. Don't ever say, yeah, I think I want to be a Christian who, who just lives like Christ, but I don't need this doctrine stuff. No, no. From the very beginning, you need to say, you need to see there is no shame. In fact, there is a premium placed upon Christians who learn truth as it was taught by the apostles. The apostles aren't here today. So how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? It's through scripture, of course. The Bible is where we have the apostles' teaching passed on to us. The prophets of old and the apostles commissioned by Jesus have not only uh, verbally proclaimed their word, but they've also written it down. And it's been given to us. So that we can still come together. And what are we doing right now? We are dedicating ourselves to the apostles' teaching. It's right here. That's what we need to do. First and foremost, we need to be people of the Bible. People of the apostles' teaching. Reciting the apostles' creed when we gather. Hearing the, that apostolic doctrine passed through Jesus, through his apostles to us. And the preaching of the word. And what else? Reading scripture together. Have a good opportunity to do that. It's not too late to jump on board with uh, the, the Bible reading plan that Mr. Jones sent out. We can do this together. Uh, you could do it um, on, on, on your own pace, but um, we ought to be in the scriptures together. Learning community. But not only that, we see that this community is a loving community. If the first feature of, 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 the, of, of this community is, is that people gathered around an open Bible, the second feature is people with their arms around one another in loving action. What do we see in this passage? It says they were together. You say, well, that's, that's pretty simple. But it's also really important. These are people that were in each other's homes. These are Christians who were involved in each other's lives. Um, they were at each other's dining room tables. And they didn't just uh, uh, say to one another, I'll pray for you. They actually prayed for one another. They would pause right then and there and pray for one another. Because they knew what to pray for. Because they cared for one another deeply. And it expressed itself in this community of mutual care. Uh, we see how far it goes. Uh, what did they do? It says they met each other's needs in very tangible ways. Um, let's see. Right here. In chapter, four, in, in chapter 2, verse 45, it says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that's profound. I've had many people try to tell me over the years that this is communism. It's not communism. It's community. It's not socialism. It's sharing. This is voluntary action on the part of believers. They're not forced to do this. They're doing it because they want to. And that's what's so beautiful about it. They're not forced to do it, but they step up to the plate and they do it. And they see that, that this person over here is, 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 is um, this Christian brother is persecuted so that he lost his job. And so they put their money where their mouth is and they support him through it. And they look over here and they see a sister who is very sick and she needs help. And so they sacrifice their precious time and they come along and, and they spend time with her and, and, and nurse her and heal her. 
They look and they see, they see a group of brothers and sisters that just feel so lonely, so lonely. And they put their arms around them and they say, come into my home. Let's spend some time together. They had all things in common. What that means is they had Christ in common. Christ is all things. He's, he, he's the only thing that you really need to be connected to other Christians. Have you ever thought about that? How, how you have more in common with one another than you have with the fans of your favorite football team or the, 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 the most vocal proponents of your, um, your politics. You have more in common with one another because you're Christians. You have Christ. And he's forever. Romans 12, 10 through 13 gives word to this kind of community, a loving, moving, caring community. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, friends, I, I have seen this mark in our community, but I long to see it more. I think we all long to see it more. I can point, I could, I could stand up here and point to a list of tangible ways in which I have seen many of you meet others' needs. But we're not going to stop there. We need to see it more. We need to see this vision, this, um, this picture from the early church just sweep over us. A learning community, a loving community. But they're also a worshiping community. This is really important. What does... Um, Luke tell us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, when you got to the prayers, maybe that sounded a little weird to you. Why the prayers? Why didn't they just devote themselves to prayer? I think this is your first signal that what we have here is one of the many things that this early church community was doing is that they were gathering for corporate communal worship. The prayers. Formal thing, the breaking of bread. For good reason, many believe this is talking about the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread at the Lord's Supper. There's a good case to be made for this. And what are they doing? They're going to the temple. Why are they going to the temple? Well, because they're not starting a new religion. They're building upon what is already there. They're saying, we are inheriting the faith um, of the God that's worshiped at the temple, but now we're worshiping him through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way forward. So before long, that worship spills into their homes. Worship. Worship is essential, essential to a community of Christians. You cannot have Christian fellowship without gathering for worship. That's why you're, you're at the right place this morning. Right where you're at is where you should be if you want Christian fellowship. This is where it starts. Gathering as God's temple, as God's people. For the breaking of bread, for the prayers. We've had several prayers already. We're going to have more before the end of the service. 
And so they're a learning community. They're a loving community. Uh, they're a worshiping community. They are a... Um, and, and finally, what I want you to see is that they're a witnessing community. Now, all of this, all of this that you've been hearing, what, what does it do? It catches the eye of a watching world. People notice when the church becomes this Bible-loving, people-loving, God-loving fellowship. People notice. Why? Because people are hungry for community. Think back to those headlines that I read to you at the beginning of this sermon. People are lonely. It is hardwired into our souls to want community. And not just any community, but a lasting community, the real deal. And so we can love family reunions. We can enjoy them. Uh, we, can, we can enjoy when we go to a football stadium and we're, we feel like we're in it together. We put our arms around other, um, other fans. We say, yeah, go team. We can, um, we can love engaging in philosophical discussion with other people. Philosophy clubs. Political literacy clubs. But as good as all those things can be in context, they are not lasting eternal fellowship. And, and, and get this, our community, our world knows that. They know that. Because they want those things, but they want something more. They jump at the opportunity to find connection. People are hungry for real community. And so when they look and they see the church being that real community that it was designed to be, it's, it's extremely attractive. Some of you, because I've heard your stories, were attracted to the church because of this. I've heard stories, friends, of people that have gone to um, Living Water in Springfield and they've decided to lean in and learn more about this Jesus because they were startled that in the congregational prayer, they were praying for the specific needs of people. For Aunt Bethany and, you know, Uncle Chris. And they, said, well, they know about each other. They're involved in each other's lives. I went in on that. And I know that getting in on that involves getting to know Jesus. You see, we talk a lot about evangelism. And um, trust me, I'm going to keep talking about evangelism because I believe that we're called to be involved in that verbal witness. But perhaps one of the real ways in which we can prepare for that verbal witness and for it to actually be attractive and, and seen as a real deal is for us to start right here. How can we deepen our fellowship with one another? How can we lean into that? Because it's only as, um, as we become that community that God called us to be that our words of the gospel have that sweet savor and attraction. And people say, these guys aren't just uh, all about talking. They're also about doing. And this is the kind of community that if I step into, I'm not just going to hear about Jesus. I'm going, I'm going to experience the love of Christ through the saints, right? So one way in which we can prepare ourselves for evangelism is to deepen in our fellowship. These are the marks of a Christian community. They're, they're laid out for you in, in this picture of the early church. A learning community, 
a loving community, a worshiping community, a witnessing community. You see that the Lord works through this witnessing community because what's happening? He's adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. So powerful is this Christian fellowship that it just spreads and explodes and, 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 and grows. That's what it looks like. How do we get it? How do we, how do we be part of this? And let me just mention the very first way that you can be part of this is to join in. It's to join in. You're going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to call you to join in and lean in. But first, join in. And what I mean by that is this, that this passage is an invitation to come to Christ, to be baptized and become a member of his church. Okay? There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing as um, a a private believer who will, will go off into the desert and then come to town ever so often. No. Christians are called to community. And that community isn't just a gathering um, when, when we feel like it or, or a commitment on our terms, but it's a commitment in terms of accountability and being added to the number of believers. We see that here, don't we? It says twice. Actually, look at verse 41. Uh, Those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's actually the case that the early church could count how many public Christians they have accountable to their fellowship, visibly connected to them. 3,120. That's what it started off as. The day after Pentecost. And so the call to you, you say, I, I want in on this. I, th- I think I, wanna, I, I, I want this fellowship. I want this community. Well, if you come to church and you, you, you can spend a lot of time with us and we love you and we love that. And there's going to be friendship and a degree of fellowship there. But if you want what this passage is talking about, have to commit yourselves to the church by visibly becoming a member, by publicly professing Christ. And then what we see in the scripture is not only individuals, but their households are joined to the church through baptism. So join in. I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm saying it as an invitation. And how do you join in? You look to the Lord Jesus. You say, he's the savior I need. He's the savior I give my heart to. I turn away from my sins. I turn to him and I make myself accountable to him by becoming a member of his church. I show that by the, by the, the symbol of, of, of washing of water, baptism. What that says is I need the cleansing of Jesus and I need him just like every other person who's been baptized here needs him. I'm joining in, publicly stating I need him and I need this body. So join in. But also lean in. So, so you become a member of the church. So, so you're identified. Um, so you're added to the roles of a local church. Doesn't have to be this one. But it's a gospel preaching church. 
Well, it's easy if you're a member of a church, right, to read this passage and to start to get a little frustrated. Because church doesn't always look like this. You, you read this passage and you hear about how they have all things in common. You hear how they're sharing their homes and they're, they're, they're breaking bread together and they have, um, they're, they're, they're meeting one another's needs. And you say, well, why, why aren't I experiencing that? Where's fellowship when I need it? Why do I only get a taste of it? And it feels like every time I get a taste, you know, I lose it. And then the real deal is just like always out of my reach. Why does this church struggle with fellowship in, in, in various ways? Well, this passage, I think, has something to say to you as well. Let me just start by, by mentioning this. That this is not the only picture we have of the early church in the New Testament. And as glorious and as wonderful as this is, I can find, I can pull up many, many passages of struggles and hypocrisy and disunity and uh, false doctrine in the early church. And so do not fall into this lie that the church at some time had zero issues. No, the church has from day one struggled with this fellowship. It's It's been hard won, friends. So don't tell yourself the lie that Um, that the church is not real fellowship if it struggles with it. But the answer is this. When you look out and you don't see the fellowship that you're looking for, the first thing you need to do is be thankful. Be thankful. So what we see in this passage is, is, is a mark of they were giving thanks to God. And I think it's that gratitude to God that actually is the beginning of true fellowship. Because... Um, what do we do when we hear about this fellowship? We say, thank you, God, for giving me other believers. Thank you for not uh, leaving me stranded in my loneliness. Thank you for giving me a family of faith that will last forever. Lord, you've given me far beyond what I deserve. Thank you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his famous book, Life Together, says this, We enter into common life as Christians, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We enter into fellowship, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. What does he mean by that? He he means this. We don't come with our list of, okay, I'm going to be content when this person does this for me and and this person sees that I have this need and and, and this person starts to pray for me and I hear these kinds of conversations. No, 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 no. We don't start with that. We start with, Lord, thank you for the fellowship that you have given me by uniting me to other Christians. And then we don't come with our list of demands. We come with a heart of gratitude. It says, I have a fellowship But then our list of concerns aren't wrong. It's not wrong to look around and say, okay, there's work to be done here. And then out of a heart of thanksgiving, you not only can be thankful, you can be the solution. You can be the solution. What do we see the early church doing here? They dedicated themselves to this stuff. It wasn't, it didn't come naturally. Do you see that? It was hard work. They had to sacrifice and and, and put in a lot of effort to get to this place. And so it is with us. We look at our church and we're we're not happy 
with the kind of conversations that we, we hear and, and we, we, we want to get deeper. Starts with us, right? I've had to tell myself this many, many times. I have to be the solution. I can't just expect people to start doing that. I have to, I have to find tangible ways to pitch in. And so oftentimes what it looks like is maybe, okay, I'm going to find one or two people uh, that um, God has put in my life, and I'm, go- I'm going to try uh, to, uh, to, to bless their life by, by finding a way to, to, to drive our conversation towards the gospel or, or, or listening well to what they're doing, but finding a way uh, to, uh, to be a blessing to them this week. Not happy with, with how um, uh, the word has saturated our community? Step up and, and, and start to find ways in which you can gather a group of believers in our midst to read the scriptures together. Maybe it's joining in on the same Bible reading plan. Maybe it's something different. Be the solution. We will only enjoy common life together as we give of ourselves, as we sacrifice of ourselves. So it always starts with, Lord, thank you for my community that you've given me. And Lord, to the degree that we are failing to reflect what you've called us to be, help us to do that. But Lord, show me where I start. Help me to open my door to brothers and sisters. Help me to start speaking in the way I would want others to speak to me. And friends, as you do all this, be confident. Be confident, because look, look at what we see in the final verse of this passage. It says this, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Once again, we see the hand of the risen Savior, Jesus, at work in his church. Once again, we see that it's not our efforts It's not us pitching in that that does anything to to move the church forward. It's only as these things are done through Jesus stirring them up. And so unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Jesus has promised that he will build his church. He will overcome our stubborn obstacles uh, to, to true fellowship. And guess what he'll do? He'll overcome them by by. Uh, by going right to our hearts. And as he shapes our hearts individually, he molds us together. And as he does it, he makes us the kind of community in which more and more people are attracted and our evangelistic witness succeeds and people will be added to our church. Jesus has promised to do that. Maybe not in exactly the way we envision it, so we need to submit to his timing and, and, and his way. But friends, you can be confident that as you lean into fellowship, you are not leaning into a failing project. You are leaning into the project of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer, asking that he bless our efforts to pursue the fellowship he's given us. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us one another, for giving us believers. And uh, Lord, that you have not only given us um, the private reality of being a Christian, but you've also given us the public reality of being a Christian, that the world can know Christians because we identify with your visible church and we're added to the number. Lord, we we pray that we would more and more become the real deal, 
that what you have given us would be reflected more and more in outward expression, that we would care for one another, that we would meet each other's needs, that our time in the scripture would be vibrant. And Lord, we thank you for all the ways this has been already accomplished. May you do it more and more. And we thank you for being our king and for securing the work that you've promised to do. We pray this in in, in Christ's name. Amen.